check, 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 check. Check, 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 check. Good morning, good morning, church. Good morning, church. How's everybody? I got this mask. I can't tell if I'm quiet or the mask is in the way. All the kiddos get off. They want to go. That's good. Um, so this morning, our friends are back. The Geese family and Lewis family is back. Uh, April just wanted to say a few things. Now's good. Now's good. Welcome back. Welcome back, family. Oh, thanks for giving me an opportunity just to speak just for a second. I promise I'll be fast. Um, I just, on behalf of our family, uh, my mom and myself and my husband and our kids and our extended family, my brother, um, we just wanted to tell you all thank you so much for the outpouring of support and love those that came and just sat with us and sat quietly with us, those that came and prayed with us, for us, over my dad, um, prayed for him while we were here before COVID-19 happened. And you guys did that more than, more than once, multiple times, and prayed over my dad, praying for a miracle, um, which we didn't get. But it's all right. You know, this is... It's okay. This is life. And trying to still make sense of all of this, um, which it's just going to take some time, I think. But just really wanted to make sure everybody knew how much we love you all and appreciated everything from the meals, the prayers, the love, and the online service is what we needed. And my dad was always, always there. Um, he loved this church and I know we hadn't been coming very long we've only been here a few years but you all made us feel like this was our home my dad felt at home at this church he loved coming to the food bank having the opportunity to just be with everybody and he was a social guy and uh, but he loved this church and he loved the people in this church and what you all did for us um, we'll never be able to thank you enough. But what I've, what I've been telling myself and our, my family and other folks is that what we learn from this is that there are so many wonderful, good people out there. And this congregation has a lot of wonderful, good people. And we, our job now is to try to pay this forward best we can, um, how we've been treated, and the people that have embraced us, um, hopefully someday we can do that for others. You all are wonderful humans, and thank you for everything.
Bill didn't know I was going to talk. Shocker. He should have known. <laughs> <laughs> Phil and I have had a lot of more time than usual to talk lately. This is great. That's a huge blessing. Uh, I hope I'm not still in where Phil is planning on going next, but Phil and I, the elders, couldn't be more blessed than to be a part of this church. Because of that, because of you guys, there's a lot of churches out there that don't stand up. There's a lot of churches that are not the hands and feet, and this church is. So I just, from all the leadership, just thank you, too. That's all I want to say. All right, so um, we'll just pass the plate and everybody have a good lunch. No. <laughs> now, um, let's jump into Psalm 29, and, uh, and then we'll get, we'll get going this morning. Um, so good to see you guys. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Father, we come before you. We've got your word open in front of us. We're going to dive into this, Lord. We just, we're asking that um, you send us what we need for this upcoming week. That uh, as we sit here together, we've gathered to, to dive into your word. Lord, we're seeking the, your wisdom. We're seeking your knowledge. But... Lord, we, uh, frankly, we know what kind of state our world is in. And we need to be equipped that when we come out of here, Lord, that, uh, that we can represent you well out in the kingdom. So that's what we're asking for. We lift this time up to you. Amen. So uh, a few quick announcements. Uh, so uh, August 29th and 30th, next uh, Friday and Saturday, Brandy is having that benefit yard sale. Um, it's at her house. Um, it's the 3715G Road out in Palisade. Um, she has a, a friend that lost a leg in a motorcycle accident, and um, she's trying to raise some money for them. Um, the 31st, uh, fifth Sunday, we're going to do a, an all-worship service. Um, we're, we're trying to do communion in there. Uh, Ms. Jill has been... Um, working very hard to make that happen. So thank you, Miss Jill. It's, um, it, it's funny, we, Brooke and I were talking last night of how many stores are out of everything, um, just common stuff that, that we can usually get and, uh, and we can't right now. Um, but yeah, um, so like I said, thank you, Miss Jill, for that. Um, yesterday was the first time that we had the, the Bethlehem folks. Um, they held their service here in the building, which was, it was really neat. Um, and uh, so if you see those guys as, as we're coming and going, um, please make sure to, uh, to make them 
feel welcome. It was it was really neat to have them here. Um, they've asked to use the building until their place opens up in October. Um, they've been uh, it, just talking about church bodies and churches, um, and, and I hadn't really thought about it this way. They have been out of their building for almost nine months now. Um, they uh, had the fire back in January, um, and then they were uh, meeting over at Victory Life. Um, but then, you know, with the COVID stuff, that ended for them. So they've been meeting outside um, all all summer long, um, just on their on their property. Um, and uh, just a good group of folks. You know, they're they're very much like us, um, just good Christian folks that are are seeking time with the Lord. And and so, like I say, if you see them in passing, please um, and give them a, a hearty welcome. Um, we do have the food bank September 11th and 12th, and then. Um, so last week I, I, I was talking about Sunday Bible study, and my wife said, uh, so you realize that you announced the start of Bible study on Labor Day weekend, didn't you? And I said, no, I had no idea that was Labor Day weekend. And she said, that's also the weekend we're taking Derek to college. Oh. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Sunday Bible study is the 13th. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Sunday Bible studies will resume the 13th, and then um, Rhonda and Vern, um, who's up camping, um, will get the Tuesdays going, and then uh, Miss Jill has already got her, her Tuesdays going. Um, and again, if anybody is looking around at all this marvelous technology, these screens and the cameras, and going, man, I would really like to dive into that and do some of that, please, it would be awesome. We could certainly use some more volunteers for that. So uh, let's jump into our verse for today. We're in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're in verses 38 through, uh, through 42. So let's, uh, let's dive right in there. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the pre- preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. So our our theme is still is still discipleship. We've been kind of in this for the last few weeks. And as a disciple, is what does it mean to, to follow Christ? To have a healthy, intimate relationship with God. And part of that is a relentless, bold, lifetime pursuit of God. So we're going to break this kind of up into two parts. The first part, we're going to just... You know, if, if nothing else, if you walk away from this sermon knowing these different characters, we've talked about Mary and Martha, we talked about the sinful woman, but it can get a little confusing. So we're just going to take a moment and survey these characters so that at least we have a clear understanding of the Marys and the Marthas in comparison. Because we have Mary Magdalene, we have Mary and Martha, then we have Mary Jesus' mother, and then we have the sinful woman. And like I say, sometimes those, those things get con- confused. So we're going to take a moment and survey through those verses. To, uh, to make sure that we have a clear understanding of those. The clearest analogy I could come up with, any of you guys read Lord of the Rings? Any of you guys read those when you were a kid, those books? I, I put a list of the names down just because at least the first time I read through them, it was absolutely confusing who everybody was because there was Sauron, there was Thoromon, there was Gandalf and Frodo and Bilbo and Samwise and Merry and Pippin and Aragorn, son of Arathorn, who's also called Strider, and then there's, there's Arwen and there's Aragorn. Who would that? The names get confusing really quickly. So at least when you watch the movies, it's a different character. You can say, oh, yeah, I know, that's Orlando Blue. <laughs> <laughs> but 
like I say, I want to take a moment and we'll just take a survey of these verses. Like I say, at the minimum, we can get a, a good sense of who these people are in the scriptures. Then the second half is going to be our focus on discipleship and what that means. And I, I have to tell you that I am really feeling very convicted about these two things, about making sure that our faith is a healthy, intimate relationship with God. That when we strip everything away, when we strip all of the processes away, that everything else goes away, that that's what we're left with, is a healthy, intimate relationship with God. If anyone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? This is the answer. Whether it was from the Old Testament or the New Testament, whatever it is, it means I have a healthy, intimate relationship with God. And the second part of this is what helps us build that relationship. And that is this relentless and bold and lifetime pursuit of God. So let's jump into our, into our first part, the survey here. So we're talking about, you know, like I say, the, the three different Marys here. So we have Mary, Jesus' mom, and then we have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who are all part of the same family. And then we have Mary Magdalene. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, that's where we meet Mary Magdalene. And, uh, and it just says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also, here's where we meet them, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So it's the first place that we meet them. Then we jump to our... Our section here in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, where we see uh, Mary and Martha. But now we're going we're gonna to switch over to John chapter 11, verses 1 through 43. This is the, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And I, I just love this story, so we're just going to read it. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and, and, and yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. We could stop right there and spend like a week talking about Jesus in times of trouble, but we'll save that for when we get to that passage. But then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. That's Thomas being very hopeful right there. Yeah, we'll all go. Let's all go get stoned to death. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jesus said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Yeah, man, I love that story. All right, so then we're going to go to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And this is where... um, Mary uh, anoints uh, Jesus. And then we'll, we'll talk about some of the differences here. Uh, and we'll go to John 20 and, and a couple other places here to, to, again, kind of flesh this out. So John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It says, six days before the Passover, that's important, it's six days. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And in the last verse is uh, John 20, verses 1 through 18. And this is where Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. This is one of my, my favorite, I, I know I always say this, like, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. <laughs> but they're all kind of favorites, sorry. <laughs> but I, just, I love the part where, where Jesus talks to her. 
It just is absolutely incredible that um, he calls her by name. Anyway, so on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, John talking about himself, <laughs> and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, me, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, I needed to say that twice, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So, and so we have these two, these two very different groups. So we have Mary and Martha, and we have then Mary Magdalene, and then we have Mary Jesus' mother, and then we had, remember, we had the sinful woman who also anointed Jesus. We don't want to get these guys confused. We want to make sure that we, we keep them separate, and we have these events. If we wanted to, to break this down a little bit further, if you had a little bit further study, you could go to Mark chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 26 and read more about the anointings and where those happen. But we're focusing here on Mary and Martha, the sister of, sisters of Lazarus. And notice that we are in Mar- Martha's home compared to later on where they'll be at Lazarus's home. The next part is when, is when this occurs. And this is important because the Galilean ministry, the ministry up in the north, has ended. And Jesus has already set his face towards Jerusalem. He's heading towards the cross. And before, when when uh, Jesus stays at Lazarus' house near, near Bethany, that is before the triumphal entry. That's important to say. What's interesting, in the way this is where we got off, uh, off the rails into, into my theories, is that this miracle, the raising of Lazarus, is not included in the other Gospels. And I have a theory about that. My theory is when we read this, we read in John that the authorities were looking for Lazarus. They were looking to, to kill him. And I really think that because Mark was written first and then Matthew, that they intentionally excluded that to protect those guys, that they didn't want them to, to be found or to be prosecuted. So they, they left that out. And then John, who wrote much later, went ahead and included it in his gospel. But that's just my theory. I have, no, I have nothing else to offer other than that. But that setting gives us an important context and clue as to why Luke put this into his writing, this, this, this part. See, we're talking about discipleship, and Luke is kind of focusing on that. So last week, we talked about Jesus sending out the 72, and they return victorious. And Jesus reminds them, he reminds them to be humble, 
to remember that the reward is in heaven, not on earth. And that theme of pride, it's something that we see over and over and over again. It's one of those, those um, just traps that we can fall into. It's important for us to realize, this is a good lesson for us, that joy can coexist with humility. We can be happy and have joy and celebrate without being conceited or proud. That's a good lesson for us to have because we often get the two. When we, when we have achievement, when we see success, it often tends us toward pride. And we can have the achievement, we can have the success, we can celebrate without falling into that, that trap of giving ourselves all of the credit. And then Jesus concludes that message with this astonishing statement. We talked about this quite a bit last week, where Jesus says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Notice how Jesus sandwiches in there. We have, we have this pride, right? Hey guys, you've got to stay humble. And we have this words of encouragement on the theme of relationship, and then another caution about pride. See, the people who considered themselves and who the world considered as wise and learned, they did not have what we're seeking. This is an amazing statement. They did not have a healthy relationship with God. When we think about people that have spent a lot of time in college or spent a lot of time in study, a lot of time in learning, even, even biblical scholars, if our... Um, if our Bibles were a, a four dummies book, I like those books quite a bit, there would be one of those triangles there in yellow with a little exclamation point in the middle. It's a caution point. And it goes directly to our passage. See, in our bold, relentless pursuit of God, we have to balance our deeds and our contemplation because too much of one or the other can lead to separation. He's talking about, man, these wise people that have studied so much, they've studied the scriptures this whole time, and yet... They have no relationship. They're out of balance. They don't really know me. See, when we see these folks and we, we hold them kind of in high esteem, we just assume that because of their education, because of their esteem in the world, that they must be wiser and closer to God than us. And the thing is, that may or may not be true. The next thing we learn is something about God, and that is that he intentionally partners with people who are rejected by the world and who are humble. And that gives us a caution again that if people are telling us that we are smart or that we are wise, man, that's an opportunity for us to go, okay, I need to really humble myself. I need to get on my knees before God. That's right here in the scriptures. That next part reveals something about the nature of God. So we're kind of going to launch off on this a little bit. But it's important, I promise, that, that we, we bring it back around. I was telling you that this has been convicting me quite a bit this week. And I was ta- talking about the nature of God and our relationship with God and this relentless pursuit of God. And this next part is something that just has repeatedly driven me to my knees the, this last week. Understanding the, the nature of God. 
See, God is incomprehensible. That is, we have to accept that we can never fully understand God. However, we can know the revealed things about God. We have to accept that we can never know him completely. But even though we are eternal beings, we are not infinite. God is infinite. See, we take 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm guilty of this, I've applied it incorrectly. See, we're going to read through this. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Most of us know this verse pretty well. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror through a glass darkly. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, I've often taken that passage and said, Ah, yeah, you know, once we get to heaven, we'll know it all. Finally, all these questions that I've had, we're going to have them all answered. You know, it's going to be that time where we just got to get there and we're going to get to sit down with Paul and Peter and grab the book and go, all right, man, I got a list of questions. Let's sit down. And by the end of that, we'll have full understanding. And that's not the case. We are still finite beings and God is still infinite. Think about the angels when we read about them, how they still fell, how they still had limitations. Being like them does not mean that we would suddenly have more than them. They would be greater than them. And the thought of that actually is, is blasphemy. That's, you're seeking equality with God in that. You're seeking to know all of the things that only God knows. So we have to keep ourselves from that pride. The other part of that is it leads us to a, another piece about heaven. We, we see this per, you know, in, in modern culture quite a bit, that heaven is going to be where we're all sitting on clouds, playing harps. It's pretty boring. That's not the case. That heaven is a continuing of our relationship. And it will be a continued relentless pursuit of an increase of knowing God. Heaven is just where the adventure continues. It is not the place where it, you know, is suddenly and we're, we're all done. See, and we are limited not only by our finite nature, but by our sinfulness and by God's greatness. But, in our pursuit of God, we can know and we can seek the truth about God. So we're going to put up some truths. We're going to put them up here on the screen. One, God is eternal. We know that. We know that he has no beginning, that he has no end. It's hard for us to even conceive of that because of the way that we exist. Everything that we know of has a beginning and has an end. We have to kind of get out of ourselves and get out of our minds to understand that God is not like that. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an end. And God is infinite. There's whatever concepts that we have about physical size or or time, we have to throw them away. They do not apply to God. It's, It's pretty easy for us to try to conceive of or to try to draw analogies from what we know to these concepts. And we really just have to kind of throw them out of the the window. 
Because what we're doing is we're trying to, to judge the creator from the creation, from what we know. Because we experience time linearly, and we experience all of these things in a, in a certain way. And we're trying to, genuinely trying to know God, and we're genuinely trying to seek these things, and that, that's not a bad thing. The problem is our frame of reference is a little bit off. So we have to throw some of those things away. And we can see some things about God through his creation. We know that, that God loves wondrous variety, that he has infinite creativity. Just look around. At, you know, and he's able, and man, his, he's so capable of, of creating beauty that exceeds anything that we can imagine. I was, I was laughing, and it's it very true that most of us, when you walk into your house, what do you have pictures of on the wall? They're, they're things that God creates. There's people and pets and plants and, and places. Why? Because we want to see the beauty that, that our God has created in our homes even. That's what we want to look at is those, those beautiful things. But we can't let that limit our understanding of God. And then another thing that can happen, and we see this especially in, in some areas of, of Christianity, and that is people that descend into, into pantheism. Woo-hoo, there's our $10 word for the week. We get, you know, okay, no. But it's a big word, but we see this quite a bit, where people talk about God as God being in all things. It's, you know, almost the Star Wars, the force kind of thing. Ah, oh, you know, it exists between us and the chair and, you know, the plants and the trees. That we take God and we say, oh, well, God must be in the plants. That God must be in the trees. That God must be in those. And that, that is called pantheism. Those things were created by God and they are sustained by God. But God is separate from creation. And especially we see that a lot in, in Eastern-style meditation. The other part is that we have to try really hard not to fall into idolatry or pantheism when we talk about these things. There's that little yellow triangle again if we were in our Bible for dummies. That's the version I have. I don't know. But it leads us to this, and that is that God has no needs. When we're talking about our relationship with God, he doesn't have anything that he needs. We're going to go to to Psalm 50 here in in just a moment to, to enumerate this, but God made you, he loves you, he wants a relationship with you, he does not need you. We do this sometimes, we try and lower God, where we're like, oh, well, you know, my work is so important to the kingdom, you know, God needs me to be out there doing this. God really wants this as part of our relationship. We, we lower God, well, he's, he's back there wringing his hands going, well, I, I sure hope they go out and evangelize today. I, I sure hope they have church today, because without that, you know, how are we going to save the world? That isn't the case. God has no needs. He likes to partner with us. He loves us in many ways, but it's not like he's, he's not going to f- have his plans fulfilled or like he's going to be thwarted if, if we do something different. So we're going to go to Psalm 50, and we're just teasing out this idea. It says, The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons in the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God. You are God. 
I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or even concerning your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or or drink the blood of goats? No, he does not. He has no needs. So what about my relationship with God? So we're going to dive into some of these truths about God. Is everybody ready? Hold your nose. We're, we're jumping into the deep end of the pool. See, God is one. But then God is the Trinity. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And God is one in a different way than he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a different way. They are separate. It's not like God is putting on a mask or like he transforms into a, a character to be Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. That uh, is called modalism. If you guys remember, we watched that video about you know, St. Patrick trying to give all the analogies about the Trinity, of, oh, gosh, a month or so ago. You know, when we hold up the three-leaf clover, well, you see, it's one branch and then the three. No, that isn't a good picture. God is one. God is the three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one of those parts is fully God. It's not like God took all of his parts and and broke them into separate things. So God the Spirit has some properties. God the Father has some properties. God the Son has some properties. That isn't the case. Each one of those parts is fully God. Each part possesses all of the aspects of God. That is, all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite, eternal, good, loving, merciful, just. However, and this is the important part for where we are today, in that trinity, God is in perfect relationship. He does not need us to be complete. And that is what Jesus is explaining here at the end of that verse. He says, God the Father and Jesus, and I put in parentheses, and the Holy Spirit, are in perfect relationship. He says, in pursuing Jesus the Son, you are pursuing God. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit together. The Holy Spirit, the called alongside one, always points to the Father. The Father testifies about the Son. The Son reveals the Father. They are in perfect relationship. We are the ones who are seeking a relationship with our Creator. Now, this is the part I said that just rent me in two. I was listening to, uh, to David Platt earlier this week, and I was listening in my truck. I... <laughs> There's a bunch of people behind me on the road to Steamboat. I, I really I have to apologize to them because I had to pull off the side of the road. <laughs> but this is very true. And it, it should break your heart and drive you to your knees in repentance and make you burn to seek a righteous life. See, we often we talk about sin, and we talk about it quite a bit. And we talk about how it affects us and all this, but we kind of talk about it flippantly because... We do it pretty often. So it's become kind of a, a common part of our lives. Well, I have to ask God for forgiveness of that one, or I'll say my ten Hail Marys, or whatever it is. But it's really a, a big deal. Sin is a big deal. So I want you to think about it in, in a different way. And most of us in here are, are parents. So 
So I want you to think about it like this. What if somebody was trying to come between you and your kids? That's what sin does, is it separates us from the Father. If somebody or something was trying to come between you and your kids and make it so that you couldn't have a relationship with them, that you would be eternally separated from them, would you like that thing? Would you like it very much at all? Or would you kind of hate it? Would you kind of like, I really would like to get rid of that, please. It is coming between me and my kids. I would really not like that to exist ever again. That's how God feels about sin, because that's what sin does. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God the Father. And it separates us from him, and he does not like to be separated from us. We could dive into the verses here, but it's what God says is that he does not want any of us to perish. He does not want any of us to be separated from him. The other thing that about sin, and we've already talked about this, but we probably didn't think about it this way. See, God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is omniscient, all-knowing. He knows all things. God is omnipresent, all-present. He is present everywhere, all the time. See, to us, the sin happened, whatever it was, and then we moved on. But God is in that moment all the time because he is omnipresent. He is present in all moments, all the time. So when we do things that separate us from the love of God, God is right there. He sees it, he knows it, he experiences it. He's experiencing it right now. While we've moved on, we've gone, it's in the past for us, he is still in that moment. And it's not quite that way, it's kind of a poor analogy. But our sin is ever before him. There is not a time, not a place, where it is not in his face whatever it is that we have done to separate us from the love of God. It's right there. And it never leaves. And that magnifies the grace, doesn't it? That even though it will never go away, that he chooses to say, no, no, I forgive you. I want to be reconciled to you. See, when we talk about sin, we talk about seeking righteousness. And we, like I say, we think about it in terms of forgiveness and and then moving on. But the lie, the cheat, the anger, the theft, the broken relationship, the blasphemy when we curse his name, he is still in that moment right now. So when we talk about sin, we need to talk about seeking righteousness. And we we need to think about it in terms of creating moments that you would be happy to live in forever. That there would be words that you would be happy to hear forever. Because whatever you say, that's where God is. He is in that moment right now and it is ever before him. Now when we talk about love and grace, we need to measure it correctly. Because God chooses to eternally forgive us that even though he is still in that moment, that he applies forgiveness and grace, not just to that moment, but to all the moments forever. Kind of changes our thinking a little bit about sin and about grace, doesn't it? So in our relationship, and we can go, yeah, I understand how that could drive me to obedience of God because 
I don't want him to be in more of those moments. I don't want him to have more of that. I don't want him to be separated by what I have done. So then it leads us to our relationship. When we are obedient in doing the things of God that God asks us to do, it comes right back to our passage here because it leads to a deeper knowledge of God. And what Mary and Martha are experiencing right here is that they have to learn balance between communion and contemplation and prayer and action, which again leads to that deeper knowledge of God. So we have two passages to kind of tease this idea out. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Then John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And all of that needs to be wrapped in humility. Jesus mentions it twice in three paragraphs. He says, made some converts? Great. Praise the Lord and count your treasure in heaven. Not here. Seen some of the things of God? Praise the Lord and fall on your knees. Countless people have begged to be where you are right now and to have heard what you have heard. That leads us to another point, and that is, how fortunate are we as we sit inside this building right now today? Isn't it absolutely incredible? We are, we are spoiled rotten. We, we live in a time where we can fit the entire Library of Congress in our, in our phones. We have everything, every tool imaginable right now with us. And we have this time together studying God's Word. Do you know how many countless scholars have begged for this kind of opportunity to sit together in a room full of all wonderful people and have conversation about the deep things of God? How many people have begged for the opportunity to openly discuss the nature of God and the nature of existence and the nature of sin? To be able to freely dive into God's word and and tear it apart and claw and scratch. And we get to do that week after week. We have all the resources at our, at our fingertips. And put all that aside, go to social media right now. Go to Instagram, go to Facebook, go to any of them right now. There are millions of people right now who are putting up posts. They're, they're begging for attention. They're begging for a deeper relationship. They're, they're begging for wisdom. They're begging for love. They're, they're seeking just a, a, a little glimpse of the divine. How spoiled rotten are we that we get to sit together and we have the food bank, that we have serve other people, and that we have prayer and all of the wonderful gifts that we have been given. It's the same message that was given to the disciples. So many people have begged for the many gifts that we have been given. We cannot count those as, as nothing. So when we sit under teaching and receive the nugget of truth about God, when we pray and we worship and we feel the Spirit move, when we receive a small nugget of wisdom that should drive us back to our knees in praise and worship because we know there are billions of people right now who are seeking the face of God. And who are we? Who are we that God would reveal himself to us? So it's that bold pursuit of God. Storm the gates of heaven. Defiantly obedient. Relentlessly righteous. It leads us to knowledge of God. And it starts that cycle again. 
That, that broken spirit crashed over with new revelation on our knees, thankful, arms raised in, in praise and worship, driven out to seek the lost and to help our fellow men as emissaries and ambassadors, criers for the king. Why do we seek to help these lost people? Why? My king would do no less if he were here, but he sent me in his stead. See, if if Jesus walked into Fruta, what would he do? He would pray and teach and heal and provide. So we come back to our, our two sisters. They're both believers. A lot of times when you, when you read about this passage, they'll take Martha and they're like, well, you know, no, they're both believers. They were both called loved by God. This is important. See, in the middle of his ministry, when he is headed to the cross and time is short, his face is set towards Jerusalem. Where does Jesus go? He's at Mary and Martha's house, sitting down with them, having a meal. And in this we get two sides of discipleship. And I don't want to diminish them. Both of these women are absolutely remarkable. They set good examples for us. Martha is a doer. She's busy serving the disciples, cleaning up, doing the dishes. Busy, busy. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. We go back just a little bit. When Lazarus dies, what do they do? They cry out to Jesus. And when Jesus arrives, what do they do? They rush out to greet him. When Jesus asks for some uncomfortable things, what do they do? They obey. Do you believe me? Yep, sure do. Take me to the grave. Okay. Open the grave. Gross, but okay. After Lazarus is raised, they still serve and worship, still humble. But in our passage today, we have two siblings, and they have a a very sibling interaction. I think this happened at my house this morning. Dad, Mary isn't helping with the chores. And Jesus says, "Um, Martha, the the chores aren't the problem. The worry is the problem. Did you guys ever see the movie Father of the Bride with Steve Martin? And then Father of the Bride Part 2? Steve Martin plays the dad, Brian, and uh, he owns a shoe company. It's pretty fun, but... Um, he, he goes around and he's, he's hustling and bustling after this wedding and he has all of the worries of a dad who's, whose daughter is young, she's getting married, all of this stuff. And he, he has all of these questions that he just festers about. Is she marrying a good guy? If they've only known each other for three months, is he financially stable? Is he from a good family? What are they going to do about meals? What about the, 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 the reception? Who all's been invited? Who's the wedding planner? You're going to have swans? What about flowers? What about tuxes? the end of it, he, he almost misses the wedding and he, he does miss the reception. And it's not that his concerns aren't valid. All of those things are very valid concerns. And they're not unusual concerns. But the problem is that he lets them consume him. His worries become bigger than the wedding. And that's what Jesus says to Martha right here, that she has many things on her mind, but only one of them is important. I can tell you guys, I am very, very guilty of this. Especially when it comes to church. How is the sound? How are the lights? How are the projectors? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Are there enough chairs? Are the carpets clean? Are the windows clean? I get caught up in the process and the trappings. And I lose focus on the reason that we are all doing it in the first place. And again, in my book, there's a yellow triangle. 
It says caution. See, worship is absolutely beautiful and wonderful, but don't get so caught up in the costumes and rehearsals that we forget why we worship. Celebrations are great, but don't get so caught up in guest lists and seating arrangements and clothes and food that we forget to invite God to our celebration. We can go on mission where we are with nothing but the clothes on our backs, the sandals on our feet, and the Bibles in our hands. We don't need a, a committee and a study and a budget. Serving is wonderful, but don't be arrogant. Don't look down on the people we serve and everything that we do, regardless of what it is, it needs to be in genuine pursuit of Christ. Spurgeon says this. He says, Now, brethren and sisters, all that you can give to Christ in any shape or form will not be so dear to him as the offering of your fervent love, the clinging of your humble faith, the reverence of your adoring souls. Do not, I pray you, neglect the spiritual for the sake of the external, or else you will be throwing away gold to gather to yourself iron. You will be pulling down the palaces of marble that you may build for yourselves hovels of clay. See, we can get so caught up in the, in the worries and the trappings that if Christ walked through the door, we'd ask him to go outside because he's getting mud and blood on the, on the carpet. Meanwhile, Mary has focused on Jesus. She isn't going to let this opportunity, this time with Jesus, pass her by. And the other side of that coin is the rejection of earnest purveyors of the word of God. And we do this. We stop ourselves sometimes. And the action of serving, preparing, working is not inherently bad. But when it interferes with your pursuit of Jesus, that's when it's not okay. And the promise of a pursuit of God is that you will not be denied and that you will not be deprived. That everyone who seeks him will find him. That everyone who earnestly cries out his name, he answers Everyone that gets on their knees in prayer and cries out for him, he comes to. It's absolutely incredible. We've got a a last quote from Spurgeon here. It says, So too, lastly, if you want to serve God as as I trust you do, I charge you first, be careful of your own souls. Do not begin with learning how to preach or how to teach or how to do this and that. Dear friend, get the strength within your own soul. And then, even if you do not know how to use it scientifically, yet you will do much. The first thing is, get the heart warmed. Stir up your manhood. Brace up all your faculties. Get the Christ within you. Ask the everlasting God to come upon you. Get him to inspire you. And then, if your methods should not be according to the methods of others, it will not matter. Or if they should, neither will it be of consequence. Having the power, you will accomplish the results. But if you go about to perform the work before you, before you have the strength from on high, you shall utterly fail. Better things we hope of you. God send them. Amen. We're going to close with uh, with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for allowing us to call you Father. Lord, thank you for your Son. Thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, it's still smoky outside. Let's lift up our our firefighters in this time to you that, um, Lord, cover them with safety, cover them with blessing, protect our, our people. We know that these troubles must come, Lord, but we're just asking for your shield. Please, Lord. Lord, we... um. A lot of folks that are hurting, that are, are suffering, that have, that have lost. And while we know that their loved ones go up to, to better places, Lord, we um, still have a hole in our lives. And uh, it's who we're seeking your comfort. And Lord, if we can be part of that team, please direct us to do so. Lord, think about surgeries and recovering from surgeries. And Lord, we just... Uh, we're seeking your face of healing. We know that when you come close that, that good things happen and we just ask that you guide doctors' hands, that you guide healing processes, that you uh, give doctors the right medicines and the, and the right words and the physical therapists and all of those things, the tools that they need to, uh, to bring about your good healing works. Father, we, we lift up our, our kids to you. We're super excited that they get to go back to school and see their friends, but we're scared too. This disease thing is scary. And we know that you are in charge of all things, Lord, and we we take comfort, but we're just asking for your protection for our kids. We're knocking on your door that you would keep them safe and healthy. Lord, we, um, we lift our congregation up to you. We know that it's not always easy, that it's not always sunshine and rainbows, Lord. And we know that each of them has different challenges that they are facing, different hills that they are trying to climb. And Lord, I just ask that you be right next to each and every one of them. Lord, we lift our church up to you, that we would be a church that uh, is on your path, on your mission, doing your work. That we could be a lampstand that, that everyone would look and see your light. And Lord, we, um, we lift up our nation and our leaders to you. Lord, we, uh, we know that all things are part of your plan, that you work out all things for the good of us, but we just feel like we need you right now, big and strong. If you would be a, a good voice of, of reason, that you would, Lord, that your will be done. We, um, we ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for our sins. Amen.